Hello and welcome to this Head Talks podcast. I'm Terry Stiastny and I've been speaking to Dr Anastasia Dedukina, the founder of Consciously Digital, an organisation which coaches people to help them find a balance between their online and offline lives. So, should we all switch off our devices and do something less boring instead? My name is Dr Anastasia Dedukina. I am author of a book, Homo Destructus, public speaker, and founder of Consciously Digital, which is a network of over 100 digital well-being coaches. Now, this may sound strange. What is digital well-being? Fancy, trendy word. Actually, what we try to do is to help people find the balance between their online and offline lives. Uh, for example, when they work remotely and when they're always on, so helping them set up healthy boundaries or helping parents who ask us to get their children off the screens or you know, solo entrepreneurs who feel that they have to be online all the time and keep checking social media in order to get clients and start hating what they what was it that first made you interested in this area and what was it that happened to you that made you aware of some of the problems? There were a couple of uh, life episodes that led me to doing what I do today. So the number one was uh, when I uh, was working uh, for uh, in London for a advertising agency managing uh, the account of one of the biggest global tech brands. And uh, I was constantly connected and I felt uh, increasingly dependent on my devices. I was checking my emails in the middle of the night. Uh, I stopped feeling my right thumb because I was scrolling so much that it was almost numb. So I thought "Mm, maybe it's time to take a break and uh, I got rid of my smartphone and lived without any smartphone for about one and a half years. And the second episode was that uh, before uh, I joined that company, I worked for a different company and uh, we were all uh, based in the same room, but people were sitting and talking to each other on Skype, just using the chat feature of Skype and because uh, in order not to disturb someone else. And I thought, hmm, there is something wrong with the company culture. I wonder how many more people have this issue that they feel chained to their uh, phones or to their devices. So this two kind of my personal career episodes uh, became a foundation of what, what, how I set up Consciously Digital. Um, essentially first it was just one person Uh, enterprise. Um, I was trying to raise awareness um, in other people about the consequences of our digital behavior. And I think then with uh, the scandal uh, related to Cambridge Analytica and with some Facebook scandals, this started becoming a bigger and bigger thing. Uh, More people started realizing that uh, we really need to control our devices, otherwise we allow them to control us and uh, long and behold uh, now we're over 100 coaches that all have been trained uh, for a very rigorous six months training uh, certified by two major international coaching associations uh, which is the first one in digital well-being 
And how difficult was it for you to make that switch? Did you manage to go cold turkey overnight when you switched to an old-fashioned phone? Or was it a, a more gradual process? And did you have sort of withdrawal symptoms, if you like? Oh, it was not easy at all. Uh, in fact, it took me about six months. <laughs> so I took the decision that I'm going to uh, replace my smartphone with a dumb phone. I went to the shop, I bought a dumb phone, and then for six months I was moving my SIM card <laughs> between a dumb phone and a smartphone. And I was coming up with all the pretests why I cannot do it right now, why I cannot just stop using it right now, um, up until the point when I thought, okay, <laughs> There is really something wrong going on uh, there with me. So I gave my smartphone as a present to my mother. There was no way back. After that, it became really easy. So I would say that it's the same as with uh, any kind of sweets. Yeah, as long as you have sweets or chocolate next to you and you're trying to maintain the diet, this is going to be difficult. Uh, but if you don't buy them, which is what I try to do, uh, if you don't have this temptation, then uh, it's much easier. One thing that everyone is always worried worried about um, is not having access to Google Maps or Apple Maps if you have an iPhone. Uh, but in principle, because I was in London at that time, um, you know, London has lots of maps around. Uh, so what you need to do, you just need to be slightly better organized. Uh, having said that, I don't want uh, to come across as a person who is calling everyone back to go to the caves. And uh, I don't think that getting rid of the smartphone or of your other devices is a solution. It is certainly a great first step just to clear a little bit your brain, uh, to understand what you want in life, um, to make space for creativity. So I managed to write a book and set up a business when I had no smartphone because I was not spreading myself too thinly. Uh, but I think there is much more to find in a balance. Um, between being online and offline, rather than just getting rid of technology and going uh, off grid completely. So yes, I was going to say, you know, some things that we are so dependent on that aren't necessarily harmful. For instance, you mentioned there, you know, using a map or now using your train ticket or listening to some music. I mean, it must be quite hard to to do without those things, or else just to go back to the more old fashioned ways of of trying to access them. Well, again, it's not about let's get rid of that, but I think what we need to understand is that uh, we're being convinced and we're being pushed towards uh, using technology whether we need it or not. And at some point we start believing that we need it. Uh, for example, one of the most obvious examples is that we need, believe now that we need to be checking our work emails all the time. Uh, whether we're having lunch, whether we are with our kids, whether doing something. Or if you ever went uh, to the gym, uh, you might see some people on treadmills <laughs> who instead of uh, actually being here and now, they're probably checking social media responding. Uh, so this is a belief that has been um, in a way installed in our brain yeah, by very active marketing campaigns that device producers and app developers. Uh, promote, uh, and I think this is where we really need to push back. Now, it would be very easy if we could say, oh, like our phones are evil, our computers are evil, or they are good. No, um, it's not the case. They're a mix of everything. Um, I think it's very naive to think that uh, there is one fit all solution that you're going to just do this 
and everything is going to be fine. It's a constant battle, uh, even for myself, who has been doing it professionally for the last seven years. Um, and it's really the question, you know, it's again, again, it's the same thing as with the diet. Yeah, you can't be done with your diet. You always have to uh, take care of when you eat, what you eat. Yes, sometimes you will break it, but then you need to rebound. Uh, it's exactly the same with our digital habits. What would your advice be to individuals who find themselves, as you were, you know, in the past, struggling or, or just, you know, becoming overly reliant on constantly being online, constantly having a device present? Well, first of all, I cannot advise you or somebody that you're over-reliant or not. That's something that you need to decide for yourself. And really the main question I encourage uh, you to ask yourself is, um, do my digital habits, do the way I interact with my devices, do they cost me anything? For example, do they cost me attention? Have I been postponing some of my big goals, for example? learn French or learn to play the guitar or spend more time with my children uh, because I'm you know, having rest on Instagram or browsing for news. Um, are they costing me my emotional stability? So maybe instead of going to sleep and relaxing, I am doom scrolling. Doom scrolling means that I'm reading for some negative news. So if you find that um, it's actually not bothering you, it's enhancing you, and that's great. If you find that you have issues, for example, uh, we have created the so-called consciously digital uh, well-being skill, and there are five parameters we'll look at. So do you find that your devices interfere with your sleep? Um, if they do, maybe there is something you want to do about it. Maybe uh, stop uh, taking your phone to your bedroom and use an old-fashioned alarm clock. Uh, most people um, we work with uh, have this major issue hmm, of uh, waking up at night, checking their device, delaying their sleep because they're checking their uh, phone, uh, checking their email first thing in the morning, so sleep interruptions. Or do your devices support your social relationships or do they have a negative interpersonal outcome? In other words, uh, do your children, your spouse, your partner, your friends complain that, oh, you're constantly on the phone? Um, do your check emails when you really need to be there with your closed ones? Um, if that's the case, maybe one of the best things you could do is to commit to hiding your phone away from the table or uh, just put in somewhere in the bag. Uh, we know uh, research uh, shows that uh, when two people are having a conversation and the phone is present just lying on the table face down without any notifications, um, the person um, who is asked how you feel about this conversation uh, says that their partner was not so interested in them and the conversation felt less intimate. So even the mere presence of the smartphone can already have an impact on our relationships. Or um, another variable we look at is control. So do you feel in control of your devices? Do you feel that uh, you have control over when and where you're connecting? Um, this is especially related to the workload. And do you need to recreate these boundaries? And uh, if you feel that that's the case, perhaps it's worth having a conversation with your colleagues and saying, hey, can we agree, for example, that uh, we all are going to have some 
time that we can really focus on our things without having to immediately reply. And maybe there is something very urgent. Uh, there is only one channel of communication rather than me having to monitor Slack and WhatsApp and email and you following up with me if I didn't reply to you immediately. Uh, or do you feel the pressure from work to be always on? And if that's the case, and in principle, if that's if your job is not, for example, in customer relationships, and you don't need, in principle, to reply to emails all the time, uh, what can you do? Yeah, can you negotiate with your boss that you do have some time when you don't have to be always on? Uh, in principle, that's also your right by the law in most countries. You know that in some countries they already introduce the right to disconnect. For example, in France and Canada. And Portugal and Brazil, they have that as well, so that you have the right of not being contacted or not uh, having to uh, send or reply to work-related email outside of the working hours. So it's really the game, you know, it's you like balancing this uh, various uh, variables. But the main question I will repeat again is to be honest, really honest with yourself and ask yourself, okay, if I continue, doing the same thing, uh, leading the same digital life as I do in the next 10, 15 years, am I going to be happy? Am I going to accomplish what I want to accomplish? Is it supporting me in becoming you know, a better human, better employee, better? Or is it just the distractions and then I need to do something about it? It's very interesting what you say there, um, particularly about the corporate culture and whether that can change. And I was struck by what you said earlier about a place where you'd worked where everyone wasn't speaking to each other face to face. They were just speaking to each other uh, via their screens. It might be quite difficult, I guess, sometimes for individuals, particularly if you're in a, a high pressure industry. I don't know, say like journalism or finance or something where people say, well, look, decisions have got to be made instantly. We need you, you know, online. We need you answering your messages because, you know, that's what that's what we pay you for. How difficult is it for, for people to push back and say, no, this is not good for me and this is not good for all of us? This is such a great thing that you mentioned about decisions. Hmm? Uh, so we know that actually when we are overloaded, yeah, when we constantly have to switch tasks, uh, when we multitask, hmm, uh, we take worse decisions. <laughs> so um, I think it's very much the question of educating, uh, first of all, uh, leadership and then management. And explaining to them how the human brain works. So one of the things that we don't do well, unlike computers, we don't multitask well. In fact, uh, humans don't multitask at all. We switch tasks very rapidly. And when we do that, we overload our prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is a human part of the brain that's responsible, uh, among other things, for decision making. So in other words, if you want your staff to make good, balanced decisions, you should give them some time to process information. Uh, so it's very naive to think that people are going to be able uh, to multitask, for instance, and you know, being always on and be creative or take good decisions. Yeah, that's not how our brain works. Um, and this partially comes from uh, ignorance, partially comes from the wrong views of the metaphors. Uh, we think that our brain is like a computer. Yeah, we very often say use the word like productive that 
is applied to machines, really. Uh, but human brains work in a very different way. Yeah, we need time to work and stay concentrated. And we also need time to relax, because when we relax, actually, our brains are busy digesting. So in order to be creative and in order to take good decisions, uh, we need some time. Unlike computers, uh, we are cyclical. We need this downtime. Um, just think about when you have your best decisions. Probably not when you're super busy or when you, you are most creative, but rather than when you have something like you think is idle time. Uh, being in the shower, walking with the dog, when actually your brain is busy digesting the information uh, that you collected previously. So there is a big misunderstanding going on in the corporate culture when uh, managers and leadership think that human humans are like computers, they're productive. Yeah. We're not like that. And I think uh, the art of management in the 21st century is really understanding the difference between computers and humans. And for those who are interested in this topic, I highly recommend to read the book by a Nobel Prize uh, winner, uh, Daniel Kahneman. Uh, it's called Thinking Fast and Slow, where using neuroscience, he explains why slow thinking is no less important uh, than fast thinking and what are the neural processes behind it. Um, in a very simple, like a very simple way to explain this is uh, to think about an experiment. Yeah. Um, that scientists uh, conducted. They asked a group of people to take different type of IQ tests, so those that test your intellectual abilities without prior knowledge, and asked uh, them to put their devices in different locations. So some had their phones uh, face down on the desk, some in the pocket, some in the bags, and some in the other room. Which group do you think was able to solve? more puzzles, those whose phones were in the other room. Now, phones were not ringing, yeah, phones were not sending any messages, they were in fact on the airplane mode. Why was the mere presence of our smartphones so distracting? Why was it inhibiting cognitive abilities? Uh, because there is a part of your brain uh, that needs to keep track of what's going on, yeah? and maybe you're thinking about, ah, oh, like, what if there is something interesting? going on with my phone. Yeah, so the mere presence of your smartphone already makes you dumb in a certain way. Um, so the advice to uh, everyone at the workplace, if you're really trying to uh, take good decisions, to stay focused and concentrated, to be productive, um, try to put the device that you're not using right now in the other room and just see how much difference it will make. There is lots of research that we have already uh, available uh, about how our devices might be distracting or interfering with our productivity, focused decision making. But I think this knowledge is still not so much with the corporate world. Um, digital well-being is just only on its way to become mainstream. Um, I think now when people work in a hybrid way, uh, more managers are interested in how do I manage people remotely, how, you know, like, how do I make sure that they're doing their work. Um, unfortunately, in many cases, uh, they opt in for just using surveillance technology, 
which monitors what you're doing exactly online, how you're typing and where your eyes look, uh, which does not help with motivation. But I think a much better way is really educating, educating middle management, educating leadership, setting up clear KPIs. Mm -hmm. What is a KPI? Is a KPI how many emails I reply to or is a KPI uh, whether I'm doing my work well, assuming that uh, replying to emails is not really uh, what I should be measured against. And that's the conversations that we should have now that um, most of the corporates are moving to hybrid or remote work because you cannot really keep pushing people more and more. Otherwise, they will either leave uh, we have now already, we see the great exodus of employees, or you will push them to the burnout, which is also something that we see after this two years of uh, constantly being always on. I was going to pick up exactly on that point about, you know, the, the, the pandemic years, I suppose, so many people have been working online and it is just a, a completely different way of, of interacting. Do you think things have changed permanently or might they change again for the better once people are back uh, working together face to face with other people more often oh we're not going back to to working with other people <laughs> uh no it's, it's just not because people do want to have flexibility and once they tasted the flexibility uh that's not happening you need to have some leverage of why you keep them in the office so the banking industry maybe might afford this because they're paying a lot of money yeah but if you're paying a very average salary you cannot demand from the person that they're uh, in the office all the time. Yes, there are some people who prefer that and some people who don't. But one thing that we need to uh, be aware of that when people work in a remote uh, way or in a hybrid way, uh, they're much more likely to be distracted. So Gartner has done the research last year. Employees in hybrid or remote uh, mode are 2.54 times more likely be distracted, uh, 1.27 times more likely to struggle to disconnect from work, and 1.12 times more likely to feel that they're working too hard at their jobs compared to those uh, who are on site. Now, what do HR do or management do? They usually try to add more technology to facilitate that. Yeah, For example, 83% uh, of HR leaders encourage frequent virtual touch point between peers, trying to recreate this water cooler moment. Yeah? Uh, but therefore, they actually end up increasing the virtual overload. And uh, I mentioned before uh, this using surveillance uh, software we know that over 80% of large companies uh, started using it uh, in the last two years of the pandemic. And uh, that's a problem because, for instance, knowledge workers who feel tracked are 94% more likely to sometimes pretend to be working due to the pressure to be always on. Yeah? So we're pushing people towards presenteeism, yeah, pretending digital presentism, so-called, uh, when they pretend that they're working actually when they're not. Um, in fact, there is even a special program that allows you to imitate the movement of your mouse, <laughs> pretending that you're doing something while you're not. And this is costing money. 
So um, the question is, uh, and the real issue that uh, lots of uh, HR leaders will have to face in the next one to three years is how do we keep our best people in this under these new conditions without burning them, without over-controlling them, yeah, but actually motivating them, connecting them to the company culture. Uh, and they will have to be very, very creative with it. I wanted to ask you a bit about the next generation. Um, obviously, we've had, you know, we've got a generation of children now who are, you know, often on their devices, connecting with friends, playing online and so forth, and who've, you know, had online schooling as well for the last couple of years. Is mm -hmm. there a way that we should be trying to be concerned about that culture for the next generation? And, and what should we do about that? I think there is no point in being concerned. I think we need to recognize that uh, we are growing a very different generation. Yeah? Children who are now aged between 3 to 11 already spent hours playing games hmm, online. Uh, having a school online certainly didn't help limit the screen time. Yeah? Now uh, parents have a really hard time trying to push back and that's a real problem. You may have heard of Metaverse, uh, not necessarily uh, introduced by Mark Zuckerberg, former Facebook now called Meta. Uh, nobody knows what it's going to look like, but probably we're going to talk about uh, platforms, different platforms that are all connected. And whatever you're doing yeah, on one platform uh, will be also possible to do on the other. And gaming is going to be a big part of that. Now, what you need to understand is that we already have the generation of those who are between 3 and 11 who are already playing together video games every day for several hours. They are co-creating things there. Uh, they are creating opportunities for their peers online and making money online and spending virtual currencies. Uh, in the United States, for example, there are more parents now who give uh, petty cash to their children in uh, virtual currencies, yeah, like for um, some games like Fortnite, for instance, uh, rather than in real money. Mm -hmm. So we are growing the generation that will be used uh, to economic activity and to collaboration in the online space. Is it going to be a disaster to the physical bodies? Absolutely, yes. Uh, we already know that the myopia is an epidemic, especially myopia is uh, not being able to see far away, so short-sightedness. Okay. It's an epidemic, uh, yes, it's an epidemic uh, among uh, young people uh, in South Korea and Seoul. Over 90% of uh, young males are short-sighted because they don't go outside much. They always look at their screens, yeah, so they don't train their eye muscle. Uh, we know that issues with back pain, uh, computer and neck are becoming younger and younger. But that's the society we're building, right? That's a society, like, for myself as a parent, um, I would probably try to postpone this moment as much as I can. But we can see that uh, with all the money uh, all the venture capital, private equity money that's going now into metaverse, it's really going to be, be a big thing and it won't be targeted towards us, it will be targeted primarily towards our children. So I think it's not the concern, I think it's just we need to understand that in 10 years, uh, the economic and political system and the corporation system will look very different. And we will have to make some very tough choices, yes. And one of the choices would be, do you want your child to be a part of that? And if you don't, then 
what are their opportunities outside of that where the main economic and political system will be functioning with this, this well, almost a matrix. It doesn't mean that we will necessarily all be sitting with virtual glasses on, although it's going that way in terms of at least augmented uh, reality. But we're being pushed to it. And um, you know what we see right now and the overwhelm that people experience is nothing compared to what's coming in the next 10 years. That's really fascinating. So in conclusion, anyone who's been listening uh, to this, what steps can people take, maybe just a few gradual steps in everyday life to try to reduce our dependence on our devices? Um, again, I think it starts with, uh, is it having an impact and where is it having an impact on you? Yeah. Um, my probably like the most simple and at the same time, the most difficult um, thing to do is to take care of your own physical body. Yeah. Making sure that uh, you don't delay your sleep. You don't shorten your sleep because of your device. Uh, making sure that uh, you don't sit all the time in front of the computer. Uh, maybe you take a break every half an hour for one minute, uh, which is, by the way, the best thing to do. Um, just being able to move your body a little bit. Uh, do the 20-20-20 exercise uh, for your eyes, which is every 20 minutes you want to look uh, 20 meters far for 20 seconds. Uh, this allows you to relax your eye muscle. Um, in terms of parenting, my advice number one to parents is always to encourage children to move more rather than telling them, oh, leave the screen, uh, trying to encourage them, hey, you know, let's go play, let's go explore. Uh, the more we use our physical body, yeah, like the less we need time to be on the screens and generally like being more active. That will be number one. Uh, number two, make sure that you have time to be focused whether it's focused on your leisure or focused on your work. Focused means you're not doing anything else. You're not distracted by anything else except for uh, what you're working on. So if I'm working on writing a report, I'm going to use blocking apps to uh, get rid of any distractions and put my phone uh, on silent mode in the other room. Uh, if I'm trying to read the book, guess what? If I have my phone next to me, it will be distracting me. So I will actually sit down and just read. And so that's physical well-being. Um, then it's a focused work. And the third very important one, um, your right to disconnect. So just decide when you're disconnecting from work. Uh, you have the right to disconnect from news and social media, especially if they're not making you feel good. Uh, it's totally okay. The world does not go into end if you only check your Facebook once a day, although it may feel that it will. Uh, so try to also stick to some diet, checking diet. And just try this as an experiment uh, for a few days. See if this makes you feel better. If this gives you more energy, then maybe add one more thing. Um, treat it as, as a fascinating experiment of what, you know, how far you can go with uh, your body, your attention, your productivity, and your overall happiness. That's great. Thank you very much indeed. That's really, really useful advice. Thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you very much, Terry. Thanks for listening to this Head Talks podcast. We hope you found it helpful and interesting. You can find many more talks on our website at headtalks.com or listen to our podcasts on all the usual channels.